I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Welcome back to Saturday School. For today's episode, we're talking about a 2014 documentary called Kuma Hina. Directed by Dean Hammer and Joe Wilson. It's about a treasure of Hawaii, and I think that's an apt way to describe Hina, who is an activist, a politician, or aspiring politician, as well as a kumu, a teacher of hula tradition in Hawaii. Kumuhina is a mahu, or someone who's sort of in the middle of male and female. And this is, as the film describes, a traditional Hawaiian identity category, sort of a pre-colonial category, where you possess both male and feminine traits. It's about a year in her life, and it's incredibly inspiring. I have coined the term kane wahine and wahine kane to address my students whom exude both kane and wahine. So when the kane stand up and when the wahine stand up, they also know that there's a place in the middle for the kane wahine and the wahine kane. Ho'onani, who is the main student that we follow, is in sixth grade. See, when you first look at me, oh yeah, oh yeah, are you a boy? I'm like, um, no. And then they give me like a look. But it's all a natural thing. They call it ku. I guess that's the term for male energy. One of the after-school programs is a boys hula class, and Ho'anani wants to join that class. Hina, of course, lets her. And in the class, one of the ways she kind of explains it to the others is that they all have ku, and Ho'anani may have more ku than all of the rest of you, but she just doesn't have like the ku parts or something like that. Kumuhina sees an opportunity to be a mentor and casts her as the lead in a specific performance I think that is traditionally performed by men. Listen to my voice. It's this performance where they do this aggressive dance that is summoning the energy of the lava. And then in rehearsals, Ho'anani almost takes on like the teacher's assistant role. <laughs> She's teaching the boys and kind of making sure their formations, their arm formations are correct. That to me is one of the great themes about this film. It's not a documentary about a trans subject. It's also about teaching. Jeremy, switch it. Say and it's about legacies of teaching. Kumu is in the title of the film and it's honorific that's given to Hina. And Ho'anani commands respect in a lot of the same ways that Hina does, even though he understands that Honani as a sixth grade mahu, a middle, may not be respected by all of society. But within the safe space of the classroom, teaching is where one can learn to be loud, to be inspiring, to teach others to be loud and inspiring. But it's also about the passing of Hawaiian history and how there were generations in which Hawaiian culture, musical and cultural tradition was sent underground. In this school, they sing the Hawaiian national anthem, not the American national anthem. When you sing Hawaii Pono'i, what flag do you have on your chest? Hi, Hawaii. We didn't get to sing that stuff in our schools. We had to pledge allegiance to the flag that took over Hawaii. Do you get it? You are the warriors of today. Yeah, it's a powerful scene, and, and it's like 
this is happening at elementary school. Yeah. And then Gina's yeah. own identity as this pre-colonial mahu, this, this concept. I mean, they don't use the word trans in the film. And the film is replete with uh, definitions of words that they find untranslatable, that they try to translate for us, but they insist on us using the Hawaiian terms for them, terms like mahu, because it's not the same as trans. And therefore, Hina, uh, her own gender identity becomes a symbol for her native identity as well. Honani describes it as being rare. She's so proud. And she's surrounded by like these male classmates who totally look up to her, even though she's smaller than them. But um, there's a scene that's really touching. I think it's on, in the stairwell. Do you remember that scene? Oh my god, that, that is the most powerful scene in the movie. Hina is talking to Honani and she's worried that she's setting Honani up for disappointment. And as she tells her, I know you like standing with the boys, being with the boys, but because you're young, you should know that some people will expect you to stand with the girls. Then what she tells her is, For as long as you stay a young person, you just roll with it. You know? When you get to be my age, you're not gonna have to move for anybody else. Okay? Oh my, it just like comes with so much experience and wisdom, but also this hope that maybe that's just my generation. Maybe your generation will be better, but just in case, I need you to know that this is not easy for people like us. But the other part of the story that's really fascinating is Hina's relationship with her new husband. Hema, who is Tongan from Fiji. It's kind of a fascinating relationship because on one hand, Hema is very accepting of her obviously because he loves her and they're together but on the other hand they both kind of talk about their anxieties over um, discrimination from other people like she's worried about how he's gonna be judged maybe even more than he's worried about it i don't know yeah because hina recognizes that her husband's friends are these like tongan tough guys who stereotypically you wouldn't expect to be embracing of their buddy in a relationship with Amahu. And yet what we find is that when people recognize two people in love, like no one really makes a big stink of it, or at least we don't see it on camera. And part of the, the journey for Hina through this film is coming to accept that maybe their relationship problems are just regular problems that two people in love go through, or two people who are getting married go, th- go through, as opposed to this angsty difficulty of, of doing so in a relationship between a man and a mahu like jealousy over other men yeah or like why you're just sitting there watching tv well i'm cooking for you and there's kind of like a funny i don't know if it was meant to be funny scene where the husband Hima's like man sometimes i just want to go hang out with my boys and drink he's saying it like very i'm standing my ground kind of way and then they show him hanging out with his friends and they're like singing songs about jesus (laughs) (laughs) do you remember that yeah yeah (laughs) it sounds like he wants to like go out and party but they're just singing like songs about jesus I wish we had more examples of characters like this in our mainstream media. There's a line in the movie where Hina talks about how um, when people were confused about the fact that she wanted to transition, some people think that she's not being truthful because she wants to live like a woman, you know? Whereas she's sort of like, by transitioning and living as a woman, that's her way of being truthful. 
And something like that seems so obvious in some ways, but like when I think about how trans people are represented in mainstream media, like, yeah, it's all about like, oh my gosh, like I thought she was a woman, but oh my gosh, there's a penis and I'm being tricked, you know? That's totally how yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. So I wish there was more stuff like this out there. To think about Kumuhino's perspective, people intimidated her of, of being that way. But I talk the truth all the time. I don't like to lie. I was thinking about how our generation, like we're in our 30s, right? And sometimes with a lot of these problems in society, like racism, sexism, or um, homophobia, quick hand, we sort of joke like, oh, it's kind of these like old people or old white people, or like this older generation that just doesn't get it, right? <laughs> Whereas I always think like, okay, as we're getting older, like what are the types of things that we're not gonna get or we're gonna be like slower to get because of the way that we grew up? And I guess for me personally, I don't know about you, but for me personally, like, I think like there, it's not that there were a lot, but there were enough characters like Ricky Vasquez in My So-Called Life, or like I had enough gay friends that I kind of grew up thinking that was normal. But I feel like great representations of Mahu or trans folks like in Kumuhina is still rare. Yeah, it's certainly rare. I mean, this inflection of it in Kumuhina because of its Hawaiian connection is even rarer even though it's so much a part of who we are as Asian Pacific Americans. So I actually don't know if you realize this, but earlier this year, there was a Senate hearing about PBS and PBS funding. And a congressman famously said his constituents would be angry knowing that films like Kumuhina were being funded by their tax dollars. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, and singled out this and a couple other films in particular. And it's insane to think that because... Like everything you're saying, this is such a film that is, it's ordinary. It's, it's about just like, to call this a trans film is to deny the ability for those stories to become totally normalized and, and turned into uh, just something that anybody could. Anyone could relate to, right? Yeah, or at least, at least want to just say like, I like this story. I mean, like this story is one that gives me a lot of insights and that is exciting to me and is romantic and has great music in it and makes me see our country and, and the U.S.'s relationship to other places in, in a new way and to think about culture in a new way. I don't know, to, to deny that, I think goes to show that there are still barriers keeping those stories from um, coming to light and from being funded even today or maybe especially today. As cool as it is to see Kumahina to the music, like I love watching Ho'onani, like at home, just playing the ukulele, and like, just how Kumahina's influence as a teacher has inspired Ho'onani to discover her own voice. And we feel that the most, not necessarily when they talk about it, but when they perform the music. Um, you just want to sit and listen and just soak it all in, and I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. Wow. <laughs> Okay. It's okay. Doing good. Kumuhina, you can watch on Netflix. Yeah, it's, it's readily available. So check it out. <laughs> Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that features stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. 
We have a Tiny Letter newsletter you can sign up for to get lecture notes. Tinyletter.com slash Saturday School Podcast. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sat School. Next week, your assignment is to watch the 2006 mockumentary, The Heavenly Kings. Class dismissed. So I recently did a stair climb, an event where people gather to climb up 75 flights of stairs for fun and for charity. And I was thinking, what can I listen to so I'm not thinking about the pain in my legs? And I listened to a podcast. So if you're also doing a stair climb right now and our Saturday school episode only got you up to like maybe floor 30, you should check out Collabcast, another podcast in our Potluck Podcast Collective. It's hosted by Marvin Yue and Minji Chang. It's about pop culture and the creative life. And the last episode was an interview with Leonardo Nam from Westworld. Leonardo Nam. Learn more about him. See you next week.